Voices, a fresh perspective on voting, politics, and power. Hello, everyone. Welcome, listeners. My name is Miriam, and you're tuning into PA Youth Voices, a podcast aimed to give Pennsylvania's youth a voice on the pressing matters around us. We discuss various topics from politics to equality to the issues of being a Gen Z in our modern day world. Today, we will delve into the topic of climate change, a hot topic on social media and news sources all across the world. With the plague of misinformation taking a toll on our media, it is hard to distinguish the myths from the facts, especially when it comes to our global climate crisis. Our team today will outline the issues of climate change by defining the crisis and its history to contextualize its effect on our world. We will also break down the terminology used to describe these environmental changes and what they really mean. We will even get to take a closer look into global climate change policies and forums and discuss their goals and achievements. To begin, I would like to introduce Tasfia, who will explain the general concept of climate change. So climate change is a long-term change in weather conditions and patterns. Climate change is normal. It is a natural process that occurs in our world to maintain and balance our environment. However, our current status of climate change is not normal. Um, It's normal for our world to to warm up, but it is rising in abnormal rates. Heat rates are increasing at alarming rates and putting ecosystem at risk. Loss of Arctic ice, extreme wildfires, droughts, hurricanes, and rising health risks are all caused by global warming, and it happened because of increasing CO2, carbon dioxide, levels in our atmosphere. Why is it important that we care about the climate change and do something about this? And it's because pretty much it affects us. Everyone knows how climate change affects animals, the forests, the storms, but no one seems to acknowledge the fact how it affects us pretty much. The effects of climate change on humans are far-reaching and includes effects on health, environment, displacement and migration, security, society, human settlement, energy, and transportation. Climate change has brought about possibly irreversible altercations to Earth's geological, biological, and ecological systems. These changes have led to emergence of large-scale environmental hazards to human health such as extreme weather, ozone depletion, increased danger of wildfires, loss of biodiversity, stresses to food producing systems, and the global spread of infectious diseases. In addition, climate change were estimated to cause over 150,000 deaths annually in 2002, with the World Health Organization estimating its number to increase with 250,000 deaths annually with the with between 2030 and 2050. Remember running these are big words and you probably have no idea what's talking about. But just sum it all it up that just means that our earth is not in a greater state than it would usually be in previous years when it comes to global warming and the cause of it is just based on us with the over usage of CO2 levels and such as cars and you know destroying forests and stuff like that. And 
when you think of climate change, you're wondering what exactly um, should I be listening to? What exactly is most important details? And the most common things we are hearing about is probably misconceptions. The most popular one, as I mentioned earlier, is climate change is normal. Our world goes through a series of warming and cooling. Yes, it's true. It does go through a series of warming and cooling. But as mentioned before, global warming is increasing at massive rates that are abnormal. And it's causing many issues with our with ecosystem, with us, with our health, and what we're seeing right now with heat waves hurting families, um, massive wildfires, droughts, you name it. Another misconception people have is CO2 has a small effect on the atmosphere. It can't be that much of a change if CO2 only has a little effect on us. A scale argument on that small part of something can't have that much of an effect. It only takes, for instance, 0.1 grams of cyanide to kill an adult, which is about 0.0001% of your body weight. Compares with your carbon dioxide, which currently takes up more than 0.04% of atmosphere and is a huge green, greenhouse gas. Meanwhile, nitrogen only makes up 78% of the atmosphere and is yet highly unreactive. So saying that it has a small effect in the atmosphere is highly underrated. And the final thing a misconception is scientists are manipulating data, which is quite weird to say the least since their responsibilities are collecting data to its fullest potential. And while sometimes my scientists make mistakes, they always try to recalculate and making sure they are looking through their research and seeing if there's anything they could do better next time. So while these misconceptions are very popular in the media, especially on Instagram and probably on popular biased news sites, it's important to understand the facts behind these things and what's actually real and fake. Now, that was probably a lot of information, but we'll talk about a few things and what could be helpful, like environmental justice, and we'll pass it on to Gayatri to talk about that. Thanks, Tasfia. Hi, guys. I'm Gayatri, and first of all, we're going to be discussing what exactly environmental justice is and what it entails. Uh, the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, defines environmental justice as the fair treatment and meaningful involvement of all people, regardless of race, color, national origin, or income, in the development, implementation, and enforcement of environmental laws, regulations, and policies. In recent years, the EPA conducted a study which concluded that people of color are much more likely to live near polluters and breathe polluted air. Essentially, people in poverty are exposed to more fine particulate matter than people living above poverty. People of color are greatly disproportionately within this margin. Furthermore, the National Center for Environmental Assessment found that African-Americans are 1.5 times more likely than white people to be exposed to pollutants where they live, and that Hispanic people are 1.2 times more likely than white people to be exposed to pollutants where they live. Furthermore, the movement for environmental justice began during the civil rights movement in the 1960s when African-Americans and other people of color were advocating to end inequalities within environmental protection in their communities. An example of an early fight in the environmental justice movement was the Memphis sanitation strike of 1968. The strike began in response to two sanitation workers being crushed to death by a malfunctioning truck in 1968. The Memphis Department of Public Works had a long history of neglecting and abusing its Black employees. As a result, 1,300 employees went on strike. The strike attracted the attention of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Ultimately, the sanitation workers created a union based in advocating for safer working conditions and better pay. 
During the strike, which lasted from February 12th until April 16th, 1968, Dr. King was assassinated at the Lorraine Motel on April 4th. For his death, Dr. King delivered his last speech, I had been to the mountaintop in support of the sanitation workers. And following his assassination, 42,000 people marched in his honor and to advocate for the strikers' demands. After months of demonstrations and strikes, and with the assistance of Jane Reynolds, who at the time was the Undersecretary of Labor, negotiators reached a deal with the city of Memphis for better wages and recognition of the union. Furthermore, four sit-ins in Warren County, North Carolina, are also known as a catalyst for the environmental justice movement. In September of 1982, residents of Warren County, North Carolina, got together to fight back against the construction of polychlorinated biphenyl, PCB, landfill in their community. PCBs are man-made organic chemicals that can cause various health issues if ingested, including affecting the immune system, the reproductive system, the nervous system, and so on. Citizens of Warren County, who were mainly Black, opposed the landfill and organized by laying their bodies on the road leading to the construction zone. More than 500 activists were arrested trying to stop this construction. The sit-in earned national attention, but the activists were unfortunately unsuccessful in preventing this. Nonetheless, what happened in Warren County inspired other impoverished communities of color to create groups with the aim of ending environmental injustice. Um, now, to give some more background, um, in the U.S.'s fight for environmental justice, let's head to 1991, when the first National People of Color Environmental Leadership Summit took place in Washington, D.C. During the summit, citizens from across the United States gathered with delegates from various countries, uh, from Canada, from nations in Central America, and nations in the South Pacific, to discuss how to solve environmental injustices within their communities. The summit included a diverse group of participants from Indigenous people, um, Latinos, Asians, Pacific Islanders, and African-American communities. The summit resulted in the widening of the environmental justice movement to include issues of public health, the impacts of colonization, housing, sustainable development, transportation, land and sovereignty rights, and employment. Moreover, the summit resulted in the formation of the Principles of Environmental Justice, which laid out the pillars and goals of the environmental justice movement. In 1994, Former President Bill Clinton signed Executive Order 12898, Federal Actions to Address Environmental Justice in Minority Populations and Low-Income Populations. The order focused federal attention on the environmental and human health conditions in low-income and minority communities with the purpose of achieving environmental protection for such communities. The order marked the first time that the federal government recognized the concept of environmental justice. Today, in 2021, the environmental justice movement includes a wide spectrum of people from various religious, racial, cultural, and economic backgrounds. This movement has been especially active in the 21st century. Um, from the protests of the Dakota Access Pipeline led by the Standing Rock Sioux to demands for safe drinking water in Flint, Michigan, which has been prominently emphasized by the media. And it continues to make an impact in addressing such environmental injustices. So climate change is a long-term change in weather conditions and patterns. Climate change is normal. It is a natural process that occurs in our world to maintain and balance our environment. However, our current status of climate change is not normal. Um, 
it's normal for our world to grow, to warm up, but it is rising in abnormal rates. Heat rates are increasing at alarming rates and putting ecosystem at risk. Loss of Arctic ice, extreme wildfires, droughts, hurricanes, and rising health risk are all caused by global warming. And it happened because of increasing CO2, carbon dioxide, levels in our atmosphere. Why is it important that we care about the climate change and do something about this? And it's because pretty much it affects us. Everyone knows how climate change affects animals, the forests, the storms, but no one seems to acknowledge the fact how it affects us pretty much. The effects of climate change on humans are far reaching and includes effects on health, environment, displacement and migration, security, society, human settlement, energy and transportation. Climate change has brought about possibly irreversible altercations to Earth's geological, biological, and ecological systems. These changes have led to emergence of large-scale environmental hazards to human health, such as extreme weather, ozone depletion, increased danger of wildfires, loss of biodiversity, stresses to food-producing systems, and the global spread of infectious diseases. In addition, climate change were estimated to cause over 150,000 deaths annually in 2002, with the World Health Organization estimating its number to increase with 250,000 deaths annually with the with between 2030 and 2050. Remember running these are big words and you probably have no idea what's talking about. But to sum it all up, that just means that our Earth is not in a greater state than it would usually be in previous years when it comes to global warming and the cause of it is just based on us with the over usage of CO2 levels and such as cars and, you know, destroying forests and stuff like that. And when you think of climate change, you're wondering what exactly um, should I be listening to? What exactly is the most important details? And the most common things we're hearing about is probably misconceptions. The most popular one, as I mentioned earlier, is climate change is normal. Our world goes through a series of warming and cooling. Yes, it's true. It does go through a series of warming and cooling. But as mentioned before, global warming is increasing at massive rates that are abnormal. And it's causing many issues with our with ecosystem, with us, with our health, and what we're seeing right now with heat waves hurting families, um, massive wildfires, droughts, you name it. Another misconception people have is CO2 has a small effect on the atmosphere. It can't be that much of a change if CO2 only has a little effect on us. A scale argument on that small part of something can't have that much of an effect. It only takes, for instance, 0.1 grams of cyanide to kill an adult, which is about 0.0001% of your body weight. Compares with your bar- carbon dioxide, which currently takes up more than 0.04% of the atmosphere and is a huge green- greenhouse gas. Meanwhile, nitrogen only makes up 78% of the atmosphere and is yet highly unreactive. So saying that it has a small effect in the atmosphere is highly underrated. And the final thing a misconception is scientists are manipulating data, which is quite weird to say the least since their responsibilities are collecting data to its fullest potential. And while sometimes my scientists make mistakes, they always try to recalculate and making sure they are looking through their research and seeing if there's anything they could do better next time. So. While these misconceptions are very popular in the media, especially on Instagram and probably on popular biased news sites, it's important to understand the facts behind these things and what's actually real and fake.
Now, that was probably a lot of information, but we'll talk about a few things and what could be helpful, like environmental justice, and we'll pass it on to Gayatri to talk about that. Thanks, Tasfia. Hi, guys. I'm Gayatri, and first of all, we're going to be discussing what exactly environmental justice is and what it entails. Uh, the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, defines environmental justice as the fair treatment and meaningful involvement of all people, regardless of race, color, national origin, or income, in the development, implementation, and enforcement of environmental laws, regulations, and policies. In recent years, the EPA conducted a study which concluded that people of color are much more likely to live near polluters and breathe polluted air. Essentially, people in poverty are exposed to more fine particulate matter than people living above poverty. People of color are greatly disproportionately within this margin. Furthermore, the National Center for Environmental Assessment found that African-Americans are 1.5 times more likely than white people to be exposed to pollutants where they live, and that Hispanic people are 1.2 times more likely than white people to be exposed to pollutants where they live. Furthermore, the movement for environmental justice began during the civil rights movement in the 1960s when African-Americans and other people of color were advocating to end inequalities within environmental protection in their communities. An example of an early fight in the environmental justice movement was the Memphis sanitation strike of 1968. The strike began in response to two sanitation workers being crushed to death by a malfunctioning truck in 1968. The Memphis Department of Public Works had a long history of neglecting and abusing its Black employees. As a result, 1,300 employees went on strike. The strike attracted the attention of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Ultimately, the sanitation workers created a union based in advocating for safer working conditions and better pay. During the strike, which lasted from February 12th until April 16th of 1968, Dr. King was assassinated at the Lorraine Motel on April 4th. For his death, Dr. King delivered his last speech, I've been to the mountaintop in support of the sanitation workers. And following his assassination, 42,000 people marched in his honor and to advocate for the strikers' demands. After months of demonstrations and strikes, and with the assistance of Jane Reynolds, who at the time was the undersecretary of labor, negotiators reached a deal with the city of Memphis for better wages and recognition of the union. Furthermore, four sit-ins in Warren County, North Carolina, are also known as a catalyst for the environmental justice movement. In September of 1982, residents of Warren County, North Carolina, got together to fight back against the construction of polychlorinated biphenyl, PCB, landfill in their community. PCBs are man-made organic chemicals that can cause various health issues if ingested, including affecting the immune system, the reproductive system, the nervous system, and so on. Citizens of Warren County, who were mainly Black, opposed the landfill and organized by laying their bodies on the road leading to the construction zone. More than 500 activists were arrested trying to stop this construction. The sit-in earned national attention, but the activists were unfortunately unsuccessful in preventing this. Nonetheless, what happened in Warren County inspired other impoverished communities of color to create groups with the aim of ending environmental injustice. Um, now, to give some more background, um, in the U.S.'s fight for environmental justice, let's head to 1991, when the first National People of Color Environmental Leadership Summit took place in Washington, D.C. During the summit, citizens from across the United States gathered with delegates from various countries uh, 
for Canada, for nations in Central America and nations in the South Pacific to discuss how to solve environmental injustices within their communities. This summit included a diverse group of participants from Indigenous people, um, Latinos, Asians, Pacific Islanders, and African-American communities. The summit resulted in the widening of the environmental justice movement to include issues of public health, the impacts of colonization, housing, sustainable development, transportation, land and sovereignty rights, and employment. Moreover, the summit resulted in the formation of the Principles of Environmental Justice, which laid out the pillars and goals of the environmental justice movement. In 1994, former President Bill Clinton signed Executive Order 12898, Federal Actions to Address Environmental Justice in Minority Populations and Low-Income Populations. The order focused federal attention on the environmental and human health conditions in low-income and minority communities with the purpose of achieving environmental protection for such communities. The order marked the first time that the federal government recognized the concept of environmental justice. Today, in 2021, the environmental justice movement includes a wide spectrum of people from various religious, racial, cultural, and economic backgrounds. This movement has been especially active in the 21st century. Um, from the protests of the Dakota Access Pipeline led by the Standing Rock Sioux to demands for safe drinking water in Flint, Michigan, which has been prominently emphasized by the media. And it continues to make an impact in addressing such environmental injustices. The first proposal is the adoption of the Green New Deal which is a bill in Congress that was introduced in 2019 by Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Senator Ed Markey. It aims to address climate change, racial injustice, and income inequality. The bill calls on the federal government to decrease the United States' consumption of fossil fuels and curb planet warming greenhouse gas emissions across the economy. The bill also aims to guarantee new high-paying jobs in clean energy industries. In order to reach these goals, the Green New Deal needs the federal government to mobilize its efforts to eliminate carbon emissions in the same way the federal government mobilized during World War II. The Green New Deal is in turn named in recognition of President Franklin D. Roosevelt's New Deal, a series of government programs that was enacted in response to the struggles of the Great Depression prior to World War II. Parts of the Green New Deal argue that the government must enact far-reaching policies to address the crises of climate change and environmental racism. Sponsors of this bill describe it as a necessary ambition in the fight against climate change. However, opponents of the Green New Deal argued the proposal would be too expensive for the U.S. energy industry to handle. There is an argument that it would cost trillions of dollars and burden taxpayers. Some believe that ending the extraction and use of fossil fuels would deprive Americans of the energy they need to heat and electrify their homes and to drive cars, which would decrease numerous good jobs in the energy industry. Furthermore, there's fear that electricity bills, heating bills, and gas prices could substantially increase as a result of this policy. Furthermore, some argue that despite its cost, the Green New Deal would fail to impact carbon emissions and decline them. And now to Tasvia, who will be discussing the ENACT, the Environmental Justice for All Act. Yes, thank you, Gayatri. Now, Environmental Justice for All Act. It was introduced in February 2020 by Representative Raul Grijalva, 
put him say his last name right. Um, the Democratic representative in Arizona. Um, he is a member of the House Committee of Natural Resources, and he introduced House Resolution House Resolution 5986, the Environmental Justice for All Act of 2020. The legislation advocates for several environmental justice requirements, advisory bodies, and programs to address the disproportionate adverse human health or environmental effects of federal laws or programs on communities of color, low-income communities, or tribal or indigenous tribal and indigenous communities. This bill would amend the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to establish environmental justice grant programs, providing grants for research, education, projects to address environmental and public health issues, and other measures targeted at addressing environmental injustice. Despite its many supporters, opponents of the legislation argue that it's biased against the oil and gas industries, which many Americans are dependent on for jobs, energy needs, and livelihoods. In re response to the bill, House Republicans created H.R. 8487, the Energy Poverty Prevention and Accountability Act, EPPAA, introduced by Representative Kevin Hearn from Representative Oklahoma, Republican of Oklahoma, the EPPAA is intended to help Americans have equal access to affordable and reliable energy. EPPAA protects vulnerable and at-risk communities by requiring transparency and accountability with new energy bills and regulations. Unlike the Environmental Justice Act for All, the double the EPPAA does not call for expanding Civil Rights Act of 1964 to include environmental justice, and it is not supported by environmentalist groups. The EPPAA places a greater emphasis on ensuring access to affordable energy rather than promising to work towards environmental justice. That's a quick glimpse of what um, environmental justice of, of for all of 2020 bill would be like. Um, I will now pass it on to Anika to talk about um, Joe Biden's plan to build a modern, sustainable infrastructure and an equitable clean energy future. Thanks, Tasfia. So, hey everyone, my name's Anika, and let's get into what's happening on the presidential level to really address climate change. During the 2020 presidential election campaign, President Joe Biden emphasized his focus on environmental justice. Notably, activists and policymakers have argued that because people of color are more likely to live in environmentally hazardous areas and lack the same resources for adequate health care as their weather, wealthier white counterparts, the COVID-19 pandemic has been way more devastating for communities of color. The CDC, or Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, notes that long-standing systematic health and social inequities have put many people from racial and ethnic minority groups at an increased risk of getting sick and dying from COVID-19, as well as social determinants of health have historically prevented them from having just fair opportunities for economic, physical, and emotional health. The Biden administration has prioritized environmental justice in its environmental plans. This administration has put forth plans to establish what's known as the Environment and Climate Justice Division within the Department of Justice and to uplift environmental justice within the federal government. 
President Biden's administration has taken the stance that environmental issues are in correlation with civil rights, and they plan to work directly with the EPA Office of Civil Rights to do so. President Biden also proposed a $2 trillion plan to address this climate change issue. And although that has been subject to both support and criticism by various members of government, no major action has been taken on this issue to support the limbo state. So next, let's pass it off to Gayatri to tell us a little more about a carbon tax and how that's going to address this issue of climate change. Yes, thank you, Anika. So another option for furthering the fight against climate change is instituting a carbon tax, which is a policy in which the government sets a price that emitters must pay for each ton of greenhouse gas emissions that they release. A carbon tax is meant to provide an incentive and encourage businesses and consumers to take steps such as switching fuels or adopting new technologies in order to reduce their emissions and avoid paying the tax. Supporters of a carbon tax argue that this policy could help end the climate change crisis and that it could be a good economic strategy to reduce emissions. Notably, the idea has been the focus of many prominent Republicans and Democrats in Congress, as well as advocates on the left and right sides of the national political spectrum. Those who are opposed to a carbon tax argue that such a policy would severely harm the US economy. The United States is the world's largest producer of natural gas and oil, and it has the world's largest share of proven coal resources. Um, furthermore, according to the Energy Information Administration, the nation's recoverable coal reserves total about 252 billion short tons, of which 58% is underground mineable coal. The recoverable coal reserves would last about 357 years, and Therefore, the opponents argue that a carbon tax would weaken the nation's energy development and have a negatively destructive impact on job creation, which would possibly impact America's many industries that involve manufacturing plants, and this could hit low-income Americans tied within these industries. Um, and next with Tasfia, who will be discussing enacting state and local policies addressing environmental injustice. Thank you, Gayatri. And now I'll be talking about state and local policies addressing environmental justice. While it is important that, you know, our national government prioritizes the environment and, you know, takes its measures to protect it, there also needs to be some measures as well for our state and local government as well. For instance, in August 2020, Governor Phil Murphy, um, a Democrat from New Jersey, signed NJ from New Jersey Senate 232, a bill that aims to protect low-income communities in New Jersey from environmental injustices. The law requires to New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection to consider how projects seek state permits for facilities such as power plants, incinators, I think I'm saying that right, and, landfill, and landfills that would affect environmental and public health in already overburdened communities. Environmentalists have hailed the bill as the strongest piece of state legislation addressing environmental injustice. Other states, such as California and New York, New Jersey does not require accumulative impact assessments as part of the permitting process. Legal environmental experts say those provisions lack teeth and can be treated as mere boxes to check because of decision at a discretion of reg re regulators, not mandated, might not mandated, <laughs> based on conditions. This bill also states that if power plants, incinerators, or landfills are not allowed to be constructed near wealthy communities, they should not be constructed in low-income areas as well. Advocates of the bill believe that Senate 232 is a first step in ensuring steps forward 
steps towards environmental justice. The bill has been loaded, um, launched as a critical step towards ensuring all residents of New Jersey, regardless of their address of race, um, address, race, identity, whatever it may be, have access to good health, clean air, and safe water, which sounds not too shabby at all. However, opponents of Senate 232 argue that the bill will negatively affect the New Jersey economy. Critics believe that a new regulation will discourage manufacturers from starting and maintaining businesses in New Jersey. There's another big concern for many states as well if they have families who rely on these businesses to you know keep their families running and you know with the pandemic going on, this would probably be a major issue for them as well. But in regards to our home state, there's Pennsylvania Climate Action Plan, in which Gaiachi will be explaining and going more in details about that as well. So in regards to the Pennsylvania Climate Action Plan, um, which was um, put down as an act in 2008, the DEP, which stands for the Department of Environmental Protection, um, along with the Climate Change Advisory Committee, the CA, CCAC, produced a climate action plan and submitted it to the governor in 2019. This plan identifies greenhouse gases emission and sequestration trends and baselines in the Commonwealth, evaluates cost-effective strategies for reducing or offsetting GHG greenhouse gases emissions, um, identifies cost benefits and co-benefits of reduction strategies, identifies areas of agreement and disagreement among committee members and recommends um, what legislative changes are necessary to implement this action plan against climate change. Um, furthermore, the Department of Environmental Protection and the Climate Change Advisory Committee are required to update this plan every three years as more and more is revealed about the effects of climate change and make these changes to figure out how we can combat it. Uh, the Pennsylvania Climate Action Plan of 2018 is the first version of the plan to include greenhouse gas reduction goals. There is a goal of 26% reduction in GHG emissions by 2025 and 80% reduction in GHG emissions by 2050. The plan includes over 100 actions that leaders can take to address climate change. And some of these are modeled quantitatively for environmental and economic impact. The plan also contains actions that Pennsylvania citizens and businesses can take. The plan deals with various topics, including but not limited to energy consumption, energy production, agriculture, ecosystems and forestry, outdoor recreation and tourism, waste management, water resources, and human health. You can go to dep.pa.gov to find out how to access this plan and gain more information regarding climate action in our state of Pennsylvania and how you can get involved in improving our consumption and sustainability. And now to Miriam, who will be discussing uh, the responsibility of who is who holds responsibility for climate change, whether it's corporate, individual, or both. Thanks, Miriam. So basically next, we've covered a lot of information about the history of climate change, what it really means, what the government is doing, but I think one of the biggest things to take away here is our call to action. What can we as a youth generation do right now to start making change? Let's going in at a smaller look, know that we are the change. Our generation is where it starts. We can't afford to start waiting any longer. And there's so many ways that you can take action just using the very few or many resources that are available to you. Starting small, looking at safer practices will be one of our best options. 
The first thing is to reduce the amount of energy you use. This means turning off lights, unplugging devices, and shutting water that isn't being used. All it takes is literally a few seconds and a flip of a switch to help lower, lower your carbon footprint and save some energy. Next, if you haven't heard of it already, composting. Put in short, composting is a really simple process of recycling your foods and any old organic matter like vegetable scraps, dead leaves, etc. in the ground so they can decompose naturally rather than lingering in growing landfills. Now, composting is super beneficial. It helps reduce the produce of harmful gases from landfills, such as methane, that contribute to global warming in the atmosphere, kind of like Gayatri talked about earlier. Now, it's a little more than just burying your banana peel in your backyard, but essentially it's the same process. It's very easy, can be low time consuming and effort and super sustainable as it's just a backyard project. We on the PA Youth Voices team seriously encourage you to talk to your family or living partners about setting up your own composting system. Beyond that, recycle, recycle, recycle. You will hear it time and time again, but this is so, so crucial. Plastics, papers, glass, get a recycling bin if you don't already. These are the types of things that you can do just on a simple basis that you already know about, but just to keep it a little more sustainable. But beyond recycling, try to reuse empty jars, old yogurt containers, unused bins, whatever you might have around you. Be creative and find a new use for them rather than a decoration in your recycling or trash bin art gallery. What's better than recycling is reusing the material yourself. But beyond these small changes, there's some big changes you guys can make too. It don't have to limit to yourself. So let's say you've checked off all the boxes above, but planet Earth still hasn't gotten the memo that we're on a path for change. What now? Let's look into the larger ways you can make a meaningful impact. First, reach out to larger corporations. These big consumer companies go through plastic and wasted materials in unfathomable numbers contributing to the immense parts of the climate crisis in ghostly amounts. Here's the thing. Our generation is the voice for change. Reach out via letter, email, phone, whatever, to these companies' heads and tell them, urge them to make change. It's similar to legislative advocacy. You're holding these businesses accountable. It's as simple as pointing out their flawed practices, supporting your claims with some reliable information, and then saying what, how, and why they need to change. Here on PA Youth Voices, our biggest message to you guys is to use your voice to make change. So don't be afraid to speak up and stand tall. Beyond reaching out, you can also join a larger climate change organization. Sometimes it's hard to help the movement to fix the environment when you don't know where to start or you don't have the resources. Already, you can join an organization that's already in motion to help volunteer in whatever services or work established to aid. In the majority of these cases, there will already be jobs set up that you can do from home and make community changes. Lastly, and probably most important, is to talk it up. We all know about climate change, but let's raise awareness about why we need to care and just how urgent it really is. Start a podcast, a blog, a TikTok, a school club, Instagram, literally whatever. This is one of the easiest ways to educate yourself and the world about what climate change really is and inspire them to help. Just ensure that when you do this, all of your sources and information are reliable and transparent.
Now with all of this, one thing we wanna tell all of our listeners here today is that we know how overwhelming this all can be. Greenhouse gases, drastic policies for change, the shortage of time, it's a lot to process. But remember that we are not idle, nor are we helpless. Our generation has raised its voice in amazing ways about how we wanna fight back and we have so much support from the many organizations fighting right along with us. No one is alone on this journey as all of humanity stands together in this issue on our earth. And if you decide today to help clean the world, you too can help us proceed in a way that will positively impact the environment. Just remember when going forward that the power is now in our hands. And we here at PA Youth Voices are here to help you harness it. So from our team to yours, we want to thank you so much for listening into this episode, especially with how important and urgent the climate crisis is. And we hope that you've learned a lot to help make a change in your own life and your community. Thank you again from everyone here, and we'll see you next time. PA Youth Voices can be heard on Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP, and online at gtownradio.com, the second and fourth Thursdays of the month at 6 p.m. Thanks, guys, for listening in.